Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. We begin tonight with the breaking coverage of the war in Israel and the fighting that has gripped the world for the past 72 hours. Israel has declared all-out war on Hamas after the group launched a devastating surprise attack from Gaza, killing 700 Israelis, many of whom were attending an outdoor concert and and abducting dozens of people, including children. Israel says it reestablished control of the territory on its side of the Gaza border 48 hours after the attack, although the fighting and the bombings continue. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu addressed his country today, saying his military would intensify its operations against Hamas and that its attacks on Gaza are just the beginning. Israel has ordered a full siege of Gaza, pounding the area with airstrikes and gathering 300,000 troops ahead of what could become a ground operation into the densely populated enclave. More than 1,000 people have been killed so far in the fighting. At least 700 people have died in Israel, according to its military. More than 680 people have died in Gaza, according to the Palestinian Health Ministry. 11 Americans have been killed in the conflict, and more may be missing. Amid the Hamas attack, more than 100 people have been kidnapped and are being held hostage. Captives include children, teenagers, and the elderly. Those captives are now facing a terrifying ordeal. Hamas today threatened to start executing hostages if Israel bombs civilian houses in Gaza without warning. Israelis are speaking out, sharing the harrowing moment when they realized their loved ones had been abducted. About 10 minutes later, I could hear people speaking in Arabic outside their door. And they broke in. And the last thing I heard was the youngest, who's 12, saying to them, I'm too young, don't take me. And that was it. That was the last time I heard from them. You never imagine your girls and your wife would fall down to Hamas' hands when they were visiting their grandmother. If there was some way that you could take their place, they could be free and you could go to Gaza. Where do I sign? You do it, no question. Where do I sign? I'm willing to get killed right now for their lives. Anything to bring them home. They can take me for as long as they want. In the wake of the attack, conditions for civilians in Gaza are expected to dramatically worsen, cut off from electricity, food, water and fuel. There are roughly two million civilians trapped there. The Israeli government has told them to get out. But without a clear pathway by land, sea or air, it's not clear where they could go. Take a look at this map. Gaza is that narrow strip of land wedged between Israel and Egypt on the Mediterranean Sea. It forms the smaller of the two Palestinian territories, the other being the West Bank. Gaza is a crowded coastal territory that is already under a 16-year blockade by Israel and Egypt. 
Israel prohibits Palestinians from entering or leaving the area except in rare cases. It's one of the poorest places in the world. Its conditions have been described as an open-air prison. And even worse, in 2021, the United Nations described its conditions for children as hell on earth. Let's bring in MSNBC senior correspondent Ali Velshi, who's in Tel Aviv, and retired Army Lieutenant General Steph Twitty, MSNBC military analyst and former deputy commander of U.S. European Command. Thank you both for being here. Ali, I do want to start with you. Um, from what my understanding and just reading Haaretz all day and watching uh, our coverage is that the, 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 the general feeling um, in Israel is shock and, and outrage and rage and real anger. Talk about the conditions there and what's to come. Yeah, those words are all right. Dismay, remarkable fear. Uh, Israelis have often said that they're not fearful of much, given the way this country was born and what they've had to endure. They're scared now. I'm in Tel Aviv. It's it's two in the morning now, but typically this would be a place it would be buzzing uh, until the late hours of the night. It wasn't. Cafes are closed. Restaurants are closed. People are not out. They're very fearful. We've had We've been listening to, to fighter jets uh, for much of the evening. We had uh, eight instances of uh, an Iron Dome interception of incoming rockets from Gaza. And uh, Israel is, is conducting airstrikes in Gaza. Last night, they conducted 500 of them. They claim that they are IDF. The, 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 the Israeli Defense Forces claim that they're Hamas installations or operations. The problem is, as you described, Gaza is 2.2 million people in a very, very small area. It's one of the most dense places on Earth. So you can't hit something without hitting something else. And innocent people, uh, non-combatants are dying there. So a bad, a, a terrible, terrible tragedy that occurred on Friday and Saturday is now becoming a substantially worse tragedy. Israel has said they're going to cut off, as you said, fuel, water and food to Gaza. You can't import anything into Gaza. So that means that Gaza is going to run out of diesel fuel in about three days. That's important because you see the pictures, there's no lights in most of them. Uh, the electrical uh, power generation is done with diesel fuel. They run out of that. They run out of power. So it's about to become a humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza as well for a whole lot of people who had nothing to do with what happened in Israel. Hamas continues to hold those hostages. That's complicating the efforts to uh, to to do what Israel wants to do because they can't go into Gaza uh, while these hostages are not freed. It is a terrible, terrible situation and it's getting worse, Joy. Yeah, in a way, you might say that uh, Hamas has two million additional hostages too, the people in Gaza as well. Uh, let me just ask you that last yeah. piece of what you they mentioned. Um, uh, they they can't get out, and so Israel has told Gazans to leave. But given the fact that they've got Egypt, we can put the map back up again. Egypt is in one direction, the sea is in one direction, and Israel's the other direction. Where can they go? Yeah, and we need to see where Egypt's going to stand on this, but there are 135,000 Gazans who are now without a home. They are displaced internally. There are probably many more than that who would like to leave. Israel, uh, Egypt closes that border as well. So Israel's on the on, on, on two sides of Gaza. The sea, as you mentioned, they're not free to use the sea. There's a limit, a very short limit about, about where they can go out and fish. There's no port. There's no airport. There's no control over their skies or anything like that. So Benjamin Netanyahu saying warning Gazans to leave because he said that what they're going to do to Gaza is going to echo through the generations is a remarkably disingenuous comment. Gazans are trapped. They are prisoners. They cannot go anywhere. So it, 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 as, as horrible as this situation is for Gazans, it's about as horrible as anywhere on Earth. And it's about to get worse.
Uh, Lieutenant General Twitty, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Let's talk about these two hostage situations, I guess you could call it. Um, Israel is saying all-out war. They're going to use aerial attacks on Gaza. But there are Israeli citizens somewhere inside of there. Um, talk about how this works as a military operation. If it's a ground incursion, these hostages would seem to me to be at double jeopardy then. Yeah, what I will tell you is this is the worst situation that you could be in as a military uh, person and having to conduct this military operation. And so you're spot on because many of these hostages can be used as human shields. And Hamas will probably decentralize many of these hostages and move them around quite often. So it's going to be hard for the Israelis to figure out where they are. And you also mentioned the fact that there's two million people that's crammed in 140 square miles, extremely dense. And so where do you really start with a ground operation where you don't really know where the folks are to be able to retrieve them? And you have to worry about the amount of population that you're going to have to deal with going in and fighting an urban battle at the same time. And so this is going to be a very complex operation. If they go in by ground, there are going to be a, many casualties on both sides, uh, particularly Palestinians. Uh, they're going to have to worry about they being Israeli tunnel warfare. Uh, we know that the Gazans have tunnels that uh, make their way into Israel. And the hostages may be in tunnels as well. And so very complex operation. Uh, and be, be quite honest with you, in my 40 years of service, I have not uh, witnessed anything that's uh, about to happen here. All right. I mean, we do all remember the Iraq war when the U.S. went uh, into Iraq. And, you know, that was not a cakewalk by any means, because when people when the military comes, people tend to fight back. Um, let's talk well, about the so shock you know, of this. Hap Go ahead. Well, just so you know, I led that operation as a battalion commander. So I was part of seasoned Baghdad. So I know what type of urban warfare that they're getting ready to deal with. So you definitely understand it. Well, I want to talk to you about just sort of the shock, the, the shock factor of this. Um, you know, it seems and I've seen people use the term suicidal for Hamas, which has a political wing, which runs Gaza, operates Gaza to the extent you can, given the fact that it's under complete blockade. But for them to choose to do this at this time, did that surprise you as a military man that they would and that they were able to pull it off, given, as Ali described, how constricted Gazans are and how constricted the movements are? Are you surprised that they did it, that they tried it and that they pulled it off? Well, I'm not surprised that they tried it. I mean, this has been a I, I characterize this as a pot of water on a stove that's going to boil over. Uh, as we all know, there's been settlement issues. They've been. Uh, issues of oppression, and there's been an uptick in violence over this past year. And so the water boiled over uh, here with this particular operation that uh, was carried out. What I am surprised is the sophistication in which this occurred, land, sea, and air. Uh, I'm also surprised when you take a look at the advancement in Hamas missiles. Uh, traditionally, they've been crude homemade missiles. These are missiles now that can fire pretty accurately and pretty deep into Israel now. And so you can tell that there's outside influence, uh, both training and uh, 
uh, uh, military hardware uh, given to uh, Hamas. Uh, let me go back to you, Ali, because let's talk a little bit about the conditions leading up to this. This is a very, very right wing government in Israel that seems to have been quite provocative um, toward uh, Palestinians, uh, particularly this year toward the Al-Aqsa Mosque with settlements really ex just expanding in a really aggressive way. Can you just talk about the lead up to this? Was there any sign that things had deteriorated to the level where something like this could happen? Not something like this, because as you just mentioned, there are a lot of people, as the general said, who thought Hamas might want to do this sort of thing. They wouldn't have thought that they had the capability of doing it. But you're right. The last 10 months has been uh, horrible in the West Bank. Now, it's a different operation. They've got a different government there. It's the Palestinian Authority versus Hamas. Uh, but a lot of Palestinians, including in the Palestinian Authority, do not believe that the Palestinian Authority is all that effective. Uh, many Palestinians refer to the Palestinian Authority as the security arm of the Israeli government. So there's been a lot of unrest there. And this government, this Israeli government, is is the most right-wing government in history. So there's been a lot of tension on the West Bank. I Israel had called up reserves just to try and subdue the situation in the West Bank. It's been months and months of, of, of something being ready to boil over. When Gaza launched this attack, they said, Hamas said it was about what was going on in the West Bank, in, in addition to other things. So th they are connected. And that West Bank energy that has been spilling over for the last 10 months has spilled over again tonight. The Janine Brigade, which is where uh, a lot of the tension has been in the last several months, has instigated um, attacks at several border crossings, checkpoints in Israel. So that's boiling over. And in the north of Israel, Hezbollah uh, is threatening to get involved in in this fight as well. So uh, Israel has now called up 300,000 reservists. Never before in their history have they done that. They're even sending El Al flights to bring more reservists back to Israel to be able to serve. And so it, it, that Israel is looking at a, at a three-pronged fight right now. That's why people are so worried about this. Absolutely. I'll just read you this uh, joint statement that was issued by President Macron of France, Chancellor Schultz of Germany, Prime Minister Maloney of Italy, Prime Minister Sunak of the United Kingdom, and uh, Pre President Biden uh, expressing steadfast united support for the state of Israel and our unequivocal, unequivocal condemnation of Hamas and its appalling acts of terrorism. All of us recognize the legitimate aspirations of the Palestinian people and support equal measures of justice and freedom for Israelis and Palestinians alike. But make no mistake, Hamas does not represent those aspirations and it offers nothing for the Palestinian people other than terror and bloodshed. Uh, I will note, um, well, actually, let me just play uh, one of the, this is a former IDF soldier um, who did an interview with Lester Holt, with our NBC's Lester Holt, talking about uh, his own family and what they're facing. Take a listen. A text message from my son Amir, which basically said, Dad, there are terrorists in the neighborhood. And this immediately light my uh, intention. It awakened the soldier in you? No, the father and, or, and the grandfather, because this is my family. I have my son Amir, my daughter-in-law Miri, and my two grandkids, Galia, which is three and a half years old, and Carmel, which is one and a half years old. So you were a grandfather on a mission? Exactly, exactly. Uh, Hamas uh, Lieutenant General Swoody has threatened to start executing those hostages if there's bombs dropped in Gaza without warning. Militarily, 
How would a country respond to something like this, given that their own people are among the Palestinians who are soon to be without food, water and electricity? Yeah, so this is where the intelligence, both human and SIGINT, uh, will have to come into play to start to understand where the hostages are and uh, where the ammunition caches. One of the things about when you strike an ammunition cache is just not that uh, Israeli bomb going off. It is the secondhand explosion by all the caches. And that right there can do more damage than the actual bomb that Israel fires. And so uh, they have to be careful about the secondhand explosions that's going to kill many of the civilians as well. And so unless you get the intelligence going, both uh, SIGINT and HUMAT, it's going to be hard to discern where you fire uh, in order to ensure that you do not create a yeah. casualty situation. And, and we've just discovered that Israeli intelligence, which I think people thought was actually pretty dar darn good, uh, it does have its flaws because they did not see this coming. Thank you, Ali Velshi. Stay safe out there. Lieutenant General Steph Twitty, thank you very much. And up next, much more on the devastating war in Israel and the historical context behind it. Context is important as our breaking coverage continues. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. The fighting in Israel and Gaza is the latest bloody chapter in a seemingly never-ending conflict that has centered around three areas over the last seven decades. The first, Jerusalem's Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, one of the most revered sites in Islam and in Judaism. It's part of a compound that holds significance for all three Abrahamic religions, Muslims, Christians, and Jews. It's been under a status quo agreement, tensely overseen by Israel and Jordan. Non-Muslims may visit the site, but are not allowed to pray. And into that often tenuously held agreement came Israel's current far-right-wing government and hard-right security minister Itamar Ben-Gavir, who's advocated ending the status quo and has engaged in open provocation. His visit to the holy site shortly after his inauguration in January drew condemnation from Palestinians and from Israel's international allies. And in a second visit in May, he declared Israel was in charge. And in July, he led a group of more than a thousand Israeli settlers to the compound. 
Ben Gavir has done that in the context of a government that just imploded its own Supreme Court and pushed expansion of settlements on Palestinian land in the West Bank, the second contested area, and amid increased settler attacks on Palestinians, including a revenge rampage in February after two settlers were killed, after which Ben Gavir vowed to crush enemies. The final contested area in this one is this one now under complete is the one now under complete siege by Israeli forces, the Gaza Strip controlled by Hamas, which borders the areas in southern Israel that Hamas attacked over the weekend. More than two million Palestinians, half of them under 19 years of age, live within a narrow strip of roughly 140 square miles wedged against the Mediterranean Sea. Israel withdrew its military and settlers from Gaza in 2005. A year later, amid dire economic conditions, the refugees there elected Hamas to govern the territory. That triggered a 16-year Israeli blockade, a blockade also supported by Egypt, which has driven the economy in Gaza to near collapse, with more than 65% of the population living below the poverty line, according to the UN, creating the conditions that Human Rights Watch has called an open-air prison. And it is into that already dire situation that Hamas's attack on Israeli citizens took place. And that is now also a hostage crisis. And also Israel's complete siege on Gaza. It will now take place in those conditions, cutting off all electricity, fuel, food and water. Joining me now is MSNBC political analyst Peter Beinart, editor at large of Jewish Currents and Ayman Mohedin, host of Ayman on MSNBC. Eamon previously covered the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as a foreign correspondent. And I do want to go to you first, Eamon, because you actually have, have reported from Gaza. You've physically been there. You've been on those beaches. And so I just want you to sort of paint a picture for us of where this war now is going to be taking place. What do those communities look like? What do they feel like? What are, uh, what are Israeli troops going to be bombing? <laughs> Um, it, it's a great question, Joy, and it's important, I think, for our viewers to understand what Gaza is and what it is not. It is not an open, sovereign territory where people have the freedom to leave, as you were discussing in your earlier segment. Uh, it is a people um, that have been besieged and blockaded uh, primarily by Israel, but also by Egypt for the better part of 15 years. And it is a people that are living under the draconian rule of Hamas. And it is against that backdrop uh, that we're about to see um, the fifth uh, operation, if you will, in the span of 15 years. And to kind of put that in context for our viewers, I just want them to think about this for a moment. If you're a 15-year-old Palestinian child born uh, in about 2006, 2005, you will have survived four major Israeli operations, and you are now living through your fifth one. The amount of mental and post-traumatic stress disorder, mental trauma, that a generation of Palestinians have been living through uh, cannot even be fathomed, cannot even be described. And and that's the generation that is living that is 15 years old. We're not talking about the generation of Palestinians who have survived uh, several incursions, air raids, wars, the 1973 war, the 1967 war, the 1948 war, generations of refugees that have been compounded year after year into the Gaza Strip or generation after generation to the Gaza Strip. As you described, it is impoverished. Um, it lacks resources. It has no bunkers. It has no early warning systems. The health system has completely been decimated over years. So there is really no place for the Palestinians who are in Gaza to go. And the honest truth of it is, 
everybody who is living in Gaza right now is just simply being portrayed as a Hamas sympathizer or somehow as a Hamas accomplice. And that obviously makes it very difficult for the civilian population there to escape either their realities or the Israeli bombardment. You know, and Peter Beinart, you know, uh, thank you for coming on. It, 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 it seems to me, just my uh, amateur reading of this, is that the election of Hamas, which is an extreme group, which has a political wing, but, you know, there have been protests in Gaza against them, against the sort of draconian nature of the, their governance and their rule. Um, it, there's been, dis, you know, disenchantment even in Gaza with them. And yet they took this incredibly... Um, some people say suicidal step of drawing a full war into Gaza. Does that surprise you? Um, because I think what's not surprising is the way that the Israeli government is responding. Yeah, I, I mean, I was surprised and I was also just horrified. I mean, it's, it's hard to describe how sick I and everyone I know has has felt since so many of us in the Jewish community have so many people that we love in Israel. Um, and I think the challenge is to hold these two truths. The, the one is that what Hamas did was horrifying, um, absolutely horrifying and gut-wrenching. And the other is that, that doing what Ayman was just describing, holding millions of people in an open-air prison, ultimately is, does not keep Israeli Jews safe. If it did, what happened on Saturday wouldn't have happened. If that happened after Israel had been holding Gaza under blockade since two, for 16 years. After bombing, after bombing, after bombing, it doesn't work because even though Israel can kill members of Hamas and even though it can destroy these weapons depots, the level of trauma that it inflicts on people produces hatred that lead to new people who want to go and attack Israel. And they find new weapons because these people are inextricably linked together in this tiny territory. And what Palestinians are saying is that if they can't live decent, safe lives, then it's not likely that Israeli Jews will forever be able to do that either. It, it, it is this, uh, this, this, it is a mess, uh, Eamon. And it seems that it was it is solvable in a sense. The West created this idea that there was going to be two states. The British said Balfour Declaration and bye-bye and left and then left it to people there to try to figure it out. But the, the sort of obvious answer has always seemed to be for there to be a Palestinian state and an Israeli state and then, then you could have peace. But no one has gone for that that easy, seemingly not easy, but that answer. Um, what do you make of the fact that this happened at a time when you have the Saudis and we can talk about how, how you know, disingenuous or, or honest they are, were attempting to sort of put together this peace agreement, which the Biden administration is now saying they should try to keep going. But it doesn't seem likely all of the states around um, this region are now coming to the defense of the Palestinian people. But that kind of an accord of getting everyone to agree to land for peace does it seem to you, as somebody who's reported in that region, would even at this point be feasible? It's hard for me to imagine that it is feasible at this point for a few reasons. One, the fundamental equation of what Oslo tried to set up, which is land for peace, 
was always from the very beginning flawed. The Palestinians were not seeking land. They were seeking freedom and self-determination. The Israelis were seeking peace, and they wanted assurances. And the fundamental nature of that equation suggests that Palestinians only had to offer violence to Israel, and if they can stop their violence, the Israelis were willing to relinquish the land. But it wasn't about giving the Palestinians their self-determination. And so what ended up happening year after year, as Israel became more extreme, more right, pushed further for more settlements and more expansion, the Palestinian Authority became more corrupt, more inept, incapable of making decisions and weakened year after year, was that you ended up in a situation where the West Bank now is no longer viable as a Palestinian state. Right-wing ministers in this current Israeli government are calling for the full annexation of the West Bank. Um, and that's not even talking about what has been happening in places like East Jerusalem. So the equation that was set in motion as a result of Oslo was never really destined to succeed. And we can sit here and parse exactly why it didn't work. But the reality of it is, as this new current government came into power in Israel, the uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, not only did he want to shelve that process, he wanted to do something that a lot of people said was going to be disastrous, which is the idea of going out to the Arab world and making peace with Arab regimes, regimes that are not necessarily reflective of their people or their will, and ignoring the Palestinian issue was always going to end in disaster. The idea that somehow the fundamental core issue of Israel's security was Saudi Arabia or was Morocco or was Sudan was not the honest truth of what the biggest threat to Israel was, which is the occupation of millions of Palestinians living in despair with nothing to do but to turn their anger towards Israel. And the problem is not just simply that Israel did it. It's that the West let Israel get away with it without any serious or international mechanism to try to say to the Israelis, what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is going to come back and hurt you, and we have to find a way to make sure that we bring this solution to the forefront of your conscience. You can build walls, you can imprison Palestinians, you can hide behind the reality, but it doesn't change the fact that you have six million, five million Palestinians living all across your borders within your territories that are simply not going to give up on their fundamental right to have control over their lives and have self-determination. And, and to that point, then, Peter, um, you know, uh, the, the Haaretz editorial board is blaming Netanyahu directly, and he's been in a lot of issues. I mean, he's got multiple legal cases against him, which uh, people are—it doesn't seem many people are going to focus on that now. Um, he obviously had this attempt to take over the Supreme Court that drew, you know, record-setting protests against him in Israel. There was a lot of dissatisfaction with him leading into this. But now it seems that he will be able to rally people behind him. Um, to what extent do you think that people who are now, you know, terrified for their families' lives, people who are now hostages, people who've lost loved ones, might think that guy might be to blame? He might his policies might be the cause of this. Or do you think there's just going to be a complete rallying behind Netanyahu at this point? I mean, maybe a rallying in the short term, but I think over the longer term, there will be a commission of inquiry in Israel, and I think its finding will be extremely harsh. And Benjamin Netanyahu's reputation in Israel, rightly or wrongly, was as someone who was very good on security, who really knew what he was doing. I think that will be irreparably damaged. And this could produce the same, a kind of political earthquake. The, the Yom Kippur War in 1973 was really the beginning of the end of the dominance of the Labour Party. Um, it's possible that this will be the beginning of the end of Netanyahu and his Likud party's dominance. But what we don't know is what will replace it, because there isn't right. really in Israel today a group of people offering an alternative for how to deal with the Palestinians. 
And that is the conundrum, uh, eternally, it seems. Uh, Peter Beinart, Eamon Mohedin, thank you. You guys were the, the two of the people that I really, really wanted to talk to tonight. So thank you so much for making the time. Uh, up next, our breaking coverage of the war in Israel continues with a look at the stunning intelligence failure. We were kind of just talking about it for a moment uh, that blindsided Israel. We'll be right back. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. This coordinated surprise assault from Gaza comes 50 years and one day after the start of the Yom Kippur War, when Israel was famously caught off guard from invading forces from Egypt and Syria. Since that failure, Israel has substantially strengthened its defensive and intelligence capabilities. It is arguably the most militarily powerful country in the Middle East and a nuclear power. Its intelligence services are the envy of the world. And yet, as the New York Times reports, none of Israel's intelligence services had specific warnings that Hamas was preparing a sophisticated attack that required coordinated land, air and sea strikes, according to an Israeli defense official and American officials. So how was it that Israel remained in the dark as Hamas militants prepared for this level of attack? Joining me now is Mark Polymeropoulos, former CIA chief of operations for Europe and Eurasia and MSNBC national security analyst. Mark, it's great to see you. And this this is my question. The first thing I thought when I um, heard about the intelligence failure was Condoleezza Rice uh, testifying before Congress that the understanding among the administration was um, al-Qaeda determined to attack inside the United States, and yet no, they did nothing uh, pre-9-11. This is being described as Israel's 9-11. How would you, as an intelligence professional, explain this intelligence failure? So, Joy, I spent a lot of my career in the Middle East. I actually worked with the Israeli services, the Jordanians, the Egyptians, the Palestinians. I know their capabilities. And in particularly uh, Israel's. And as you noted before, you know, Israel had a blanket over the Gaza Strip. You know, Shin Bet, the domestic service and the Israeli military intelligence had an extensive network of human assets. These are spies, communications, intercept equipment so they could listen to conversations, sensors, uh, drones. It was it was blanketed over a very small area with 25 uh, miles by by four miles. And, and the fact that this wasn't picked up was was dumbfounding to me as, as someone who's been on the ground and work with these services. You know, at first I was thinking this as an intelligence failure by the Israelis, but it's really a regional intelligence failure as well. So where were the Egyptians, the Jordanians, the Saudis, the Qataris, all the other services that do 
watch this area. It, it's something joy to me that I still cannot comprehend the magnitude of a thousand operatives in a multi-domain attack, air, sea, and land, and no one picked it up. Quite incredible. And could it be, um, you know, there is some thinking that Netanyahu's been a little distracted. He's got multiple indictments that he's dealing with. He's on a settlement expansion crusade, particularly in the West Bank and grabbing territory. His uh, members of his cabinet are doing provocative, uh, you know, state statements and showing up at the Al-Aqsa Mosque to provoke Palestinians. You could go on and on. And also, of course, this crisis of trying to take over their Supreme Court, which these massive protests, which stimulated these massive protests. Is this just a situation of a government that is distracted by its own pecuniary interests and just not paying attention? I mean, the Yom Kippur War, this is almost the anniversary. And they didn't have any idea that the things they were doing were provoking Hamas? Well, I think, you know, this was the anniversary, uh, uh, the 50-year anniversary. I don't think that's a coincidence. And, and I think there's going to be a, a commission, uh, uh, you know, after the fact, obviously Israeli intelligence and the military are busy now, but there's going to be um, a serious accountability review of this. Israel's done this before. After 73, in fact, they did the same thing. Uh, because this is something that is has gone so wrong and kind of the, to, to, to break this Israeli aura um, of invincibility. You know, it, the intelligence services for Israel, for any country, is the nation's first line of defense. Uh, and they failed. And, and Joy, you brought up a really good point about the distraction. There was amazing political dysfunction um, within Israel. And in fact, Prime Minister Netanyahu was, was in a sense in great conflict with the heads of his security services. He actually called the heads of of Shin Bet and Mossad and the military, the deep state, if that sounds familiar <laughs> to you. Uh, so, so ultimately, I think there's a lot that's going to come uh, uh, after the fact. The Israeli intelligence community has to kind of, you know, rise up right now. They have really important things to do in terms of finding targets. Uh, they have to find the hostages, of course, uh, in Gaza. They have to determine the level of Iranian culpability. But there is going to be an accountability review. And I think it's not going to be pretty for the Israeli services. It's not going to be pretty for the Israeli government as well, because I think that dysfunction certainly may have something uh, have had something to do with this. Let me read you a little bit of this Haaretz editorial board op-ed, and its its title is Netanyahu Bears Responsibility for This Israeli-Gaza War. The prime minister who had prided himself on his vast political experience and irreplaceable wisdom in security matters completely failed to identify the dangers he was consciously leading Israel into when establishing a government of annexation and dispossession, when appointing Belazel Smotik and Itamar bin Gavir to key positions, both are extreme right-wing leaders, while embracing a foreign policy that opened ignored the existence and rights and rights of Palestinians. Going forward, just as an intelligence matter, this same security services and this same prime minister has to figure out um, how they're going to do a 300,000 troop incursion into a tiny area packed with 2 million people while their own citizens are being held hostage somewhere in there. Um, is that something that to you presents a, a, a maybe insurmountable intelligence challenge, given the failures leading in? Well, it's, it's a pretty big challenge. Again, I think the Israeli you know, security establishment is, is certainly going to try to rally. Um, but we're talking about urban warfare, uh, you know, in a in a tiny area that is extraordinarily difficult. You know, uh, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, have not had great success in Gaza in the past. So I think there's a lot of talk of, of Israel going in, and it's understandable why they, they believe they need to do this. Let me make that very clear. But it's not going to be e easy, and I think you're going to see not only, of course, extraordinary casualties on the Palestinian side, there's going to be casualties on the Israeli Defense Forces 
side as well. You know, one thing that that Israel has always had uh, is is a very you know strong national security establishment, but they also tell the truth. And I think there's going to be a lot uh, of of members of the Israeli uh, uh, security team who certainly uh, are are saying this is going to be this is going to be tough. This is going to be bloody. They have to do it. Um, but we're in for some really tough times ahead. Yeah, uh, it, like you said, they're using this sort of Trumpian language. Uh, odd that they would use the language of a former president who, when he first spilled American in, um, spilled intelligence secrets that he wasn't supposed to, it was about Israel, it was national security, and he handed it to the Russians. Strange world. Uh, Mark, Polymer- Mark Polymeropoulos, thank you very much. Much appreciated. Uh, up next, Republicans are being Republicans again. Ah, yes. Rushing to score political points off the attack by Hamas, including blaming it, wait for it, on Joe Biden. Stay with us as our breaking coverage of the war in Israel continues. I think this is a great opportunity for our candidates to contrast where Republicans have stood with Israel time and time again. Well, those grotesque words were stated on Fox, of course, by Ronna McDaniel, the chair of the Republican National Committee, just hours after the stomach-churning violence in Israel and Gaza began. Meanwhile, it is her party that meets this crisis without a leader in the House of Representatives at this critical time. And one of her party's senators, Tommy Tuberville, still refuses to lift his hold on at least 300 military nominees, including top officers who would command forces in the Middle East. And then there's Senator Rand Paul, who has been blocking all State Department nominees since June, demanding that the department first release additional information about the origins of COVID, something the State Department does not have. As a result, roughly 38 countries are without U.S. ambassadors, including key countries in the region, like Israel, Egypt, Kuwait, and Oman. That list does not include the three-year vacancy over at USAID for the top official in the Middle East or the fact that the State Department has had no coordinator for counterterrorism in two years. Joining me now is Joel Rubin, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Legislative Affairs during the Obama administration. Mr. Rubin, thank you for being here. I can't think of anything more gross than a political uh, personage like Ronna Romney McDaniel saying that an attack uh, on civilians that left a lot of people dead, hundreds, um, and hundreds of people also dead in Gaza and the bombardment of Gaza uh, and a hostage uh, situation is a great opportunity. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard anything like that before, uh, but I would just like to give you an opportunity to, to respond. Yeah, Joy, you know, this kind of ambulance chasing for political power is grotesque. Uh, one has to ask, why do they hate Joe Biden more than they love Israel, for example? Why is it that they can't come together on a bipartisan basis and support our commander in chief when our closest ally in the Middle East needs our help? You know, this is not the way it has always been. And, and, and I know you know the history, but back after 9-1-1, you know, Democrats came together and supported George W. Bush, who had won a controversial election. Why? For the good of the nation. Uh, John McCain supported President Obama or candidate, then candidate Obama uh, during 2008. They walked together when there was the financial crisis. So this version of Republicans, there is no bottom. Uh, there is no low uh, for them. They will keep on going lower and the smears come. And it's a very dangerous moment for Israel. And this only makes it more dangerous. 
I will note that Democrats were so supportive of George W. Bush, they walked hand in hand into an Iraq That's war right. we shouldn't have been in and accepted his uh, administration's lies on that. Let's talk about the vacancies. You know, you, you've worked in this world. Yeah. Egypt, vacant. We have no nominee there uh, for ambassadors. No ambassador at all. None to Israel, none to Kuwait, none to Oman. Uh, I could go on. And these are literally because Republicans have decided that they want to hurt the Biden administration over side issues like COVID and abortion. What does it mean to have no ambassadors on uh, in place and also no speaker, meaning all that the House could do would be to do a nice resolution. But if even if they wanted to send money, they couldn't because there's no speaker. Yeah, Joy, it's devastating for our diplomacy. It's devastating for our ability to actually have the authority of the representative of the president of the United States meeting with the heads of state of Egypt and Jordan and, and uh, these countries who we rely on for their support right now. And think about it. Uh, what's happening in the Middle East requires a regional engagement strategy that works. And we're kneecapped. So our diplomacy is undercut. So not only are they attacking Joe Biden with false claims and spurious charges, but they're undercutting his ability to execute a foreign policy that advances our interests. We are really fortunate to have a president who knows what he's doing. Uh, but when you look at what is in the field right now, the Republicans, uh, to add to it, uh, your point about the speaker, this is an acting speaker. He never had national security experience before. He's never been briefed on intelligence issues in a serious way. And now he can't move legislation as supplemental for Israel and Ukraine as well. Uh, it's devastating. It's dysfunction, harms our ability to respond right now in a crisis. And American lives have been lost. It's worth pointing. Nine Americans yeah. have been found that have been killed and more maybe in, in harm's way as well. And this is devastating to that. And by the way, their leader is out there on his pretend Twitter saying oh that this is an issue about the border and screaming about uh, maybe Hamas is at the border or something. I won't even put the, the, the post up because it's really not worth your time. <laughs> we can't listen uh, to him last, on this. You really mm -hmm. can't. Well, you can't listen to him on anything, but some people do, <laughs> no. unfortunately. Joel Rubin, thank you very much. Appreciate your time, man. Uh, we'll be right Thanks, back. Joy. Cheers. And that's tonight's readout. Stay with MSNBC throughout the night for the latest developments in the war in Israel. Tonight at 9 Eastern, Rachel Maddow will be joined by Congressman Dan Goldman of New York, who was in Israel with his family at the time of the attack. But first, National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby joins Jen Psaki to discuss how the United States is supporting Israel following the unprecedented attacks from Hamas. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.